welcome to Marxism Today. I am Red Wagner. And I am Tony Schmidt. And we're back. Yay! We were on a short break, winter break. A little longer than we thought. Yeah, that's okay. Life happens. We get busy. Believe it or not, this is not our our sole gig. Both, Both Tony and I get very busy with the rest of our lives from time to time. Yeah. It would be awesome if this was my sole gig. Yeah. I also think, though, and then we would want to put out much more. Oh, yeah. Like we'd weekly. Be, we'd be <laughs> pumping out these episodes. How was your holiday season? We haven't, you know, we haven't released an episode since Christmas and New Year's and all that. Oh, man. Uh, holiday season's been fine. Busy. You know, kids, family, school. Woo! All that fun stuff. Right? Yeah. Winter's great because, you know, the kids get sick, then I get sick, then the kids get sick, then I get sick. Well, I remember when that happened. Yeah. 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 Like, I don't know if you can tell, I'm a little snuffly mm-hmm. now because, I, you know, I... kids got sick again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was teaching, especially that first year, oh boy, those kids will get you sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're good at incubating. How was your uh, How was your winter times so far? You know, we got through it. That's that's kind of how I feel about it at this point. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I, I'm not gonna say that it was uh, traumatic or anything, but you know, we we had all kinds of things. There there were reasons why normal family get-togethers weren't possible this year, and um, you know, everything ended up kind of being fine in its own way, but. It was not, it was not a super special holiday season in my house. Hmm. Ended up going to Denmark for work. <laughs> I think <laughs> you mentioned that on the WordPress, right? Did I? I don't know. Maybe but... not. I was in Denmark for a little bit. Nothing related to the podcast. Not because Bernie Sanders keeps talking about Denmark, but I was just there for my regular day job, which was very interesting. Awesome place. Love their work schedule. We started at 4, or ended at 4. Started at 9. Basically, I gained an hour, if not an hour and a half, on both sides of the day. Which was great. Yeah, I'm... uh, I wonder if they'll ever switch to something more like that. Actually, if it's America, I imagine them switching to something like 9 to like (laughs) 7. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, we we really need to fight for the 40-hour work week again, because... A lot of salaried workers just don't have that anymore. Yeah, and especially, like, you know, there's a lot of research that's come out that said, especially for kids, like, 10, 11 o'clock is really when they should be starting, like, school and stuff, and Mm. not not the 7, 8 like they do now, which would push, you know, regular work back because so many people have kids. I'll tell you this. Working from 9 until 4, like, this is what I learned. In Denmark, you got to be organized. Like, you can't spend very much of your work time, like, messing around with stuff that wasn't figured out. Like, you need to be organized and figure it out because you need to make the most of that time that you are working. So the people I was dealing with were actually quite competent and pretty well organized as well. That's nice. (laughs) Yeah. And when you cut out, you know, even though you're cutting out, like, 20% of the work week, like, it's a, or however much it is, I guess, I don't know. But 
from nine to four. That's what thirty six hours every week. So whatever. What if if you're shortening the work week, you're not cutting the productivity by that much because when you take hours off of the morning or the afternoon effectively where you're taking off the hours is from the end of the day you're always cutting you know if you do it right i suppose the least productive hours of your workers you know the the fact that we were working you know uh is it six hours nine to four I mean, with, we took, like, almost mm, an hour lunch. So seven. Oh, yeah, if you that. take an hour lunch, then it's six, yeah. Yeah. So, the fact that we're only working six hours a day, those were the six most productive hours of the day. Like, at, by the time when I would start, like, in the U.S. when I work, like, an eight or nine hour day, I'd start getting tired at, like, two or three. Oh, yeah. And those last few hours of the day are not the best hours. But that never happened in Denmark. You were always working during your best hours. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. I mean, nicer. Yeah, nicer. Uh, a 20-hour work week would be even better, but, you know. Right. I think I, I think a model more like that, or like just describing, is probably a more realistic accomplishment at this point. But, yeah. Or goal. Very interesting things. I was in Copenhagen. I think... Um, not very many people in Copenhagen where, uh, not very many people in Copenhagen have a car. Nice. Car ownership is very, very low because public transit is awesome and biking is made extremely friendly. We happen to live in the Madison area, Madison, Wisconsin area, and Madison regularly shows up as one of the most, one of the most bike friendly cities in the U.S. Yeah. Which we have nothing on Copenhagen. Like, every street, every single street has a bike lane. And a good bike lane, too. And people expect bikes to be there and watch for bikes and look for bikes. Yeah, I was going to say, I think the best thing that Madison has for a bike in city is that people know they should be looking for people on bikes. Right? Like, I think that's its biggest positive is that you know you need to check for a bike. Or if you don't, you need to check for a bike. Yeah, like, there are still people that get mad at you for riding a bike, but there's fewer of them. Yeah, so I only get mad nice. at bike people when they don't stop at stop signs or stoplights. Ah, uh, yeah. Which I got into this argument with people plenty of times. And the, it's the same argument with cars. Oh, I can see it's clear. That's great. So can I. I still have to stop. You have to stop. Yep. That's the, yeah. Both, Sorry, that's my little rant. Yeah, both cars and bikes don't follow the rules in certain ways. It's the the but they but they break different rules. Yeah, and the ones that the bikes break are not stopping when they're supposed to. And yeah. I've totally been guilty of that on a bike, yeah. especially if it's a really slow street. Like if there's not that many people coming, I'm gonna break that law. But yeah. like when I'm driving a car, I break I just break different laws. I speed or whatever. Not very much, but you know some. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the difference is, not to go off too much on this tangent, is that in a bike, if you decide to go through that, you're largely risking your own life. In a car, if you decide to blow through a light, you were risking everyone else's life as well. That's right. That's that's the big difference, but it's still in principle, it bothers me. You know, the other thing I wanted to say about Copenhagen, I feel like I have to say this, um, because as socialists, we tend to reference places like Scandinavia, like Denmark or or Sweden or Norway or wherever, uh, as a place better than the U S a place that, that 
has some benefits. <coughs> and in some ways, that's totally true. There are lots of things that those places do that we could do better, and we could learn from them. While I was there, though, I realized not every place has its problems, which, I mean, we all kind of, I know that in theory, but you don't really know it for any particular place until you go there, I feel like. Yeah. At least I didn't. It, it took me to go there to figure this out. I had a African-American co-worker who was told that she could not stay, uh, that she had to leave the hotel uh, because they thought she was a prostitute. And they thought one of our non-African-American, one of our white co-workers, was bringing her in. Uh, which is just really sad that she was told to leave when she was, one, there on business, a co-worker, a, a very competent one at that, you know, and and just totally by assumption, yeah, based on her race and what she looked like, they said, you cannot stay here. Yeah. To me, that's shocking because you, when you think of racism, especially towards African-American people, my mind, of course, goes to the South, you know, Civil War stuff. But, man, even nowadays in the deepest of rednecky, you know, KKK run areas? KKK, uh, no, not run. Um, <laughs> but, you know, places where, like, uh, hey, uh, white supremacist groups are operate a lot I can't even imagine that happening in a place like that. Or at least not in that specific way. Like, I could see them being like, you shouldn't be here. But I can't imagine them being like, oh, black lady, you must be a prostitute. Like, that would be... I think even a white supremacist would be a little shocked if they saw that happen. Seriously. An American white supremacist. I I mean, I'm going to be honest. We have our problems here. Oh, yeah, totally. There are a lot of of black people die at the hands of the cops for scrupulous, if not outright, wrong and flagrant reasons here. Yeah. So we definitely have our own problems. That didn't happen while I was in Denmark. Oh, but they did. There was a small town that passed uh, a law saying that the public school must always offer pork as an option of food. Um, they Denmark is the largest exporter of pork for all of Europe. They, they have a lot of pigs in Denmark. Uh, but, like a lot of European places, one of their major minority populations are folks from the Middle East, many of whom choose to not eat pork. Right. And so... It was very interesting to hear that there was legislation being passed about how pork must always be an option. I'm sure it wasn't... Well, they didn't have to eat it, though, right? It was just always an option. It's basically like a a government-forced subsidy for the pork industry to compel schools to purchase it. I mean, I doubt that it changed anything. I think probably schools always were, like, especially because this was just one small town... They probably were always offering pork anyway. It's one of those do-nothing symbolic pieces of legislation, like you see in Arizona where they like pass legislation to preserve gun rights that no one was challenging anyway. Um, I think it's one of those, but it, symbols mean something. Yeah. And I think that one meant something about trying to preserve their... You know, Christian heritage, if you will. Actually, there are a lot of things that are very Christian-based in Denmark. Isn't the Old Testament uh, anti-pork, though? 
If you're yeah. like a uh, strict Jewish, yeah, that's true. Uh, adherent, you you don't eat pork as well, right? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, I know Christianity, modern Christianity, yeah. has no problem with that. Um, that's true. Or but... or atheism. I'm an atheist, and I love pork. Yeah. Because, mmm, pork. I really like pork. <laughs> Pig's my favorite animal to eat. <laughs> I just alienated all vegetarians. Listen to this. <laughs> Yeah, I know. We've, we've got a request for uh, an episode on our stance towards vegetarianism and all that. Oh, yes, that's we, right. And we, the, today won't be the day for that, but we'll talk about that at some point in time. Yeah. Uh, but today's topic is... This is going to be my pithy title. If, I, if everything goes correctly, this is the title that showed up on your episode when you selected to start listening to it. We're all hipsters... And capitalism is using that to rip us off. I think you're just saying that because of my phenomenal Cosby sweater. My Oh, we're going to have to change the name of those sweaters, aren't we? Cosby sweaters? Yeah. Yeah, that is a whole different connotation. Yeah. You don't want to have a Cosby yeah. sweater. Yeah, it's... Um, you're just saying that because of my handlebar mustache and my immaculately groomed beard. And, and six-pack of PBR? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the magic of radio, folks. This is a very cheap episode stage although i did i did I, honestly i i guess i didn't today i do have beard oil that i've started using that's oh, about real yeah see you're a hipster the, i guess although i am i'm drinking this uh bell's cherry stout oh that's kind of hipstery craft beer we drink a lot craft, of craft beer, beer is hipstery oh is then it? i'm a huge hipster then yeah see i only drink craft beer or homemade beer. oh god and i am Okay, yeah. <laughs> okay. I see where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this uh, thesis that I'm presenting, that we're all hipsters and capitalism is using it to rip us off, is a combination of ideas that I've gathered from other places on the internet and kind of mushed together to make this topic. One thing that I've been fascinated with for uh, maybe a year, however long since it's been out, was when the Cracked Podcast started coining the term cheat code to capitalism, which is basically their shorthand for whenever capitalist industry uses some kind of inbuilt psychological or biological flaw, let's call it, that humans might have, or attribute, but it taps into that and uses that against us to essentially take advantage of us to sell us something that we don't really need or to make us pay more for it than we should or whatever yeah like that the salt fat sweet thing um that you know humans just crave Uh, i think there's a book about that by that title Mm -hmm. or um yeah they have a bunch of you should just go look at their stuff they have a, a lot of great examples especially they have a series of youtube videos where they do if commercials were honest and they highlight a lot of that stuff there mm, yeah yeah great yeah. work uh the i think the poster boy for it if you don't want to spend time looking it up like the poster boy for this kind of thing is the cigarette industry we mm. all understand that that was manipulative and that it was using addiction against us but the fact of the matter is that Capitalism is using the same kind of flaws in our psychology against us all the time. Whether it's uh, an addictive video game, 
and they are specifically made to be addictive in certain ways. Mm. Uh, addictive food, like you mentioned, that has salt, fat, and sugar, uh, sugar in the right proportions can turn f- food into being an addictive thing. And clearly we have uh, an addiction problem with food in this country based on, you know, our health problems, things like that. Um, so there's that idea. That's idea number one is capitalist cheat code. Capitalism is using human psychology to rip us off. Then I combined that with this idea from uh, actually the Planet Money NPR podcast which is largely a capitalist podcast, but, you know, you got to keep tabs on those capitalists, see see what they're up to every once in a while. And uh, the episode that caught my attention was one on ex- these extremely expensive purses. $20,000, $60,000 purses called Birkins, which is a weird name. It's way too close to Merkin. Right. <clears throat> The interesting thing about the story is that they go into the psychology behind it. And they say the the industry, the group that makes these, specifically makes them difficult to find, difficult to buy. That's hmm. part of the whole allure to them, yes. is that if you go into a store and ask for one, they the the hardest part is not owning enough money, as you would think it would be. The hardest part for the r- extremely rich people that apparently have this amount of money to throw away at a purse, is that they keep the supply of them extremely artificially low, and you have to, like, ask in just the right way. Like, the stores often have them, but tell you that they don't, because they're trying to, like, keep them exclusive. And there's... This whole built-in psychology that they go into, they bring in a marketing expert and they talk with him about human psychology and what the NPR podcast calls it, you know, Cracked would call it a cheat code to capitalism, which I love that term. What NPR called it, I thought it was a great term as well, a soft spot in the Mm. human mind. (laughs) And the soft spot was that people want something when it is rare and exclusive. Yeah, the um, typical, um, or stereotypical, um, finicky uh, teenage female wants to date the guy she can't have. The guy who's aloof and too cool for everyone. Um, You know, based upon movies, that sort of thing. Like, you want it because you can't have it. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it turns out it's true about everyone. Like, the... That capitalism is constantly using this trick against us, and and the it's interesting because the marketing expert on Planet Money tells the reporter that he says, "Look, this isn't just the Birkin people; they're doing it to a whole new level." But it's always happening with like the fancy food items on a menu, or you know, the packaging on. Uh, you know, any commodity can make it seem like it's a little bit more rare. Diamonds happen to come to mind because mm. th- those are especially, you know, non-interesting things that occur materially in the world but are kept rare by the industry. You know, by just the beers. I mean, the fact is you can make a diamond in the lab, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for cheap. Now, the connection here, you mentioned the beers, and now I'm going to mention... The beers, in other words, the craft beers, 
that we were just talking about, those are also rare, exclusive in their own certain way. There's lots of things. This is what made me think, yeah, we're all hipsters. We all want something that's rare, something that's exclusive. We, it is a way for us to uh, define an identity for ourselves. Yeah, no, I totally, yeah, I see that. Like, what pops into my head immediately is Fallout 4. I think I mentioned previously how excited I was for that. Mm-hmm. Um, quick review, it was great. Um, <clears throat> but, like, I, you know, I had to get the limited edition Pip-Boy edition, which were really hard to get. Like, they were so scarce and they sold out so fast that even, like, the development team couldn't get enough that they wanted to give people as gifts. Like, the people who made the game, they they all got their own, you know, everybody worked on it, got their own. But, like, if mm-hmm. they wanted to get one for, like, a cousin or a nephew, they were scrambling to find them as well. Because, you know, the company was making even that. Or they did a limited release Jones soda, where they made a soda that's in the video game, Nuka-Cola mm-hmm. Quantum. And I wanted, to, I really wanted it, but I worked that day, so they were only selling them a Target. Mm-hmm. And my wife went to go check um because we end up shopping there a lot and by like 11 like there were none the lady said that they sold out in five minutes yeah i and believe it they don't do no more even though there's you know it's one of it's it's one of those things that drives you nuts because there's a clear market there's a you know clearly you can supply there's a market and it's just nope no more yep. that's it yep. and if you want to buy them they're like 50 bucks online and the i mean we're talking about the extreme examples those are kind yeah. of fun to talk about but i think the fact of the matter is that probably every single person listening to this in- including you and me can think of probably a dozen different things that we've spent money on that we could either have gotten cheaper or didn't need at all and it was because capitalism was taking advantage of this soft spot now, the interesting thing, the ad man that they had interviewed on NPR, he commented that the ad industry didn't put your soft spot there. It's just letting you scratch the itch that you developed on your own or that nature put there. Yeah. Yeah, which was a a nice dodge of him, a nice way to kind of clear his conscience. Yeah. We're not doing anything wrong, man. It's, it's what you really want. Yeah. It's what you want. Yeah. But any honest person that looks at that can see, oh, no, you're you're making a profit off of this. I mean, you didn't acknowledge that fact, but you're making a profit off of this. And if you, it, granted, if you didn't do it, someone else would try to do it. But this is the way our society functions. Our society is built on corporations using psychology against us oh, yeah. to take advantage of us because of a soft spot put in our brains by nature. Yeah. Also, when you say soft spot, I can't help but think about baby soft spots. Because yeah. those really creep me out. Yeah, that is a little creepy. Like, if I touched Henry's head and put my hand over the soft spot. Excuse me. Sorry. That's a dumb digression. <laughs> something related to this that I want to tie in is something that I hear quite often by people. And it's this basic idea that we don't need to worry about advertising because I'm smart and it doesn't work on me. And I think that this is one of, you know, 
Okay, I'm going to be harsh here. So, you know, take her with a grain of salt. This is my opinion or whatever. Just my opinion, man. <laughs> but I think that that's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard. That you don't need to worry about it because I'm too smart and I don't listen to advertising. It's all those dummies out there who do. That's kind of a misunderstanding of how advertising works, I think. Yeah. Just because you saw an ad for a Lexus and you didn't go and buy a Lexus, that doesn't mean that that ad didn't work on you. The ad, one purpose of it is for you to buy that thing, but it's also there to create the mystique or and the prestige around the commodity. It's also there to reinforce the commodity relations that we live under. To make capitalism and consumerism the norm in society. To just create the culture that we live in. And to say, I don't need to worry about it because I don't buy the things that I see advertised. One, it's probably not even true. Because you probably have bought something that was advertised to you. And you might be telling yourself that it, that you did you, that you bought it. Not because it was advertised, but because you really wanted it. But there's no way to separate those things. There's no way to prove that that was actually the reason why, and that the ad didn't affect you in any way. Yeah, I mean, even just people that deny the effect of any the fact that you say it's a Lexus in me, and all the less listeners aren't going. What's Lexus? What's this magic weird word you just said that we don't understand or have no associations with? Mm-hmm. No, everybody's thinking uh, mid uh, mid uh, mid to high end uh, car sedan, right. probably. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I'm I know sure. nothing about cars, but I can tell you that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know that much about cars either, but I know that it's a fancy one, and honestly, I I. I probably have seen one in real life, but I don't really even know if I have. I couldn't. I probably couldn't pick one out of a lineup. But well, so for some reason, I know they're fancy. From what I know from advertising, if somebody asks you to pick a car up out of a lineup, it's probably a Chrysler. <laughs> I don't. I don't get that joke, oh. but I get that it's supposed to be a joke. <laughs> they're just doing a bajillion ads where they're like, "Here are a bunch of cars with things removed." Guess guess who, you know, which of these is the best one or whatnot. And they're like, they're all Chryslers who won all these awards that it sounds like we made up. <laughs> okay. And I also like, if somebody put me in that situation and I'm like, wow, you're trying to sell me a car and you're telling me they're all magical award winners? I'd be like, I don't believe you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How convenient. What other ones won awards? Because I guarantee you yours weren't the only ones. And I want to talk a little bit also about the response like what can we do about this as socialists or marxists or whatever you happen to identify as i assume that we're all lefties here on the left side of the political spectrum one thing that crosses my mind as to what we can do there's the individual response and there's the collective response and and um maybe we can talk a little bit about each one like individually one thing that I've done for some portions of my life has been to kind of seclude myself from these things. That has benefits and drawbacks to it. Like, there was 
I think maybe a two or even more year long period, two years or more, that I didn't watch any movies or TV or anything. Which sounds like the most hipster thing to do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had no idea I was a hipster at that time. I thought I was just, like, kind of poor and lefty. But um, not even if you're poor and lefty, you can still probably find ways to watch TV or movies. But I, I just kind of, like, made a choice not to. And I did see a difference. One was that it was hard to talk to people because you don't really know what's... You know, a lot of people want to talk about those things, want to talk about movies or TV, and I still don't watch very much, so a lot of the times I'm in the dark, but it's a big difference between, like, just a little bit and zero. Like, if it's zero, you're really at a loss. Yeah. Uh, I also noticed that I was extremely resensitized to violence. Like, the first movie I watched after that long binge was Slumdog Millionaire. I've never seen it. I'm not even sure that it's that violent of a movie, but, like, the little bit of violence that was in it, like, I had to look away from the screen, and I could tell that that was not something I would have done earlier, like, before I went on this kind of, like, media fast. Yeah, you should have waited uh, and fasted until Django Unchained came out. <laughs> well, that's a really violent movie? I don't know. It's a Tarantino is. movie. Oh, okay. Well, about would do it. basically southern slavery. Okay. So that's, I don't know, it's a response. And it's easy to do in the sense that you can start doing it right now and you can do it as much as you want. Like, you can just instantly stop yeah, if you want to. The benefits from it are kind of mixed. Like, I'm sure there's lots of ads that didn't affect me because I didn't see them. But even then, you're around... The culture, you're, you live in a culture that's created by all of this, so you're never really fully shielded from it. And, and it also makes you a little bit of an outcast. Oh, yeah. Uh, I'm not saying that that's a reason not to do it. If it is something that's interesting to you to, or, or something that appeals to you to kind of go on this media fast, uh, I do, I mean, if if you want to try it out, I recommend it. I enjoyed the fact that I did it. I'm kind of glad that I can come back and reflect on that. But today, do I still do it? No, I have Netflix and I do that. I'll watch YouTube videos and sometimes there are ads on those. So, or listen to podcasts and there's definitely ads on those. Yeah, I, I don't. Not ours though. <clears throat> no, unless you're possibly watching on the YouTube. Oh, yeah. I th- I don't know if we have ads on or off. They might be off, actually. I don't know. Yeah, we we have not monetized the account, so if there are ads on it, they're not for us. They're that's that's YouTube. Oh, good, good juice in that. Um, yeah, no, I I don't watch a lot of TV, um, mostly because I don't think there's much good on TV. Um. Boy, I can't decide if that sounded elitist or hipster. <laughs> well, is there a difference between elitist and hipster? Yeah, that's a good question. And I I don't watch a ton of movies. I watch a lot of YouTube videos talking about movies, uh-huh. which is kind of weird. Like, I don't watch the movies because a lot of movies don't look very interesting to me, but I like watching people tearing them apart or analyzing them. Yeah, it's kind of a sad moment when you realize that you know more about Zizek's, uh, like, cult, like, 
critique side than you do about his pop culture side yeah like when you're like well i haven't seen this movie but i definitely know the freudian concept that he's talking about yeah uh the the thing i noticed the most is i don't really listen to music at all like Mm -hmm. i've been listening to a little bit more because uh chris a very nice listener put me in a facebook group where they post like revolutionary music which is awesome um chris and so i'm exposed to a lot more stuff like that um, which makes me happy because the only music I listen to is music for um, message, not like music really for enjoyment, <laughs> which is the weirdest thing. And I yeah, you sound like a monk right now or something, a Buddhist monk, it's, a Marxist monk. Yeah, I guess. Like I, I don't know. I just don't particularly like music in general. Like as a general thing, like I'm fine with it. Like. But in the car, I don't listen to the radio. I will drive in silence, or normally I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks. But mm. like when I tell people that, they just look at me like I came from the moon after being trapped there for a thousand years. Like the, what do you mean you will just drive with nothing playing? You won't have background music on, or sometimes I like to do that same thing. I know what you're talking about because. I listen to, like, public radio or podcasts uh, when I drive, and I don't listen to music anymore when I drive, partially because I don't like any of the radio stations around here, and, like, if I'm going to plug in my phone, I'm going to probably play a podcast. Yeah. I do love music. I like to play music, and I will listen to music from time to time, but it's usually, like... I search out a particular song I want to hear right now and listen to it. I get what you're saying, though, because the amount that I listen to music, like when I was young, I listened to so much music. I was really into music. I'd listen to a whole CD, sit down, listen to the whole thing. And now I can't even imagine doing that. I don't know if I've ever sat down in my life and listened to a whole album. Right? Ever. Is it because I don't have the attention span? Is that my problem now? It kind of feels like it. Maybe. Like, how did I have a bigger attention span when I was 12 than I do now? Well, maybe it was that you were still familiarizing yourself to all sorts of musical concepts and different things. So you had the attention span because you were learning it. And now that you're familiar with a lot of the stuff, because especially like you're talking like radio and stuff, a lot of that's just simple, repetitive nonsense, basically. Yeah, so like you're not, you like, you're not, you, you're, it's not stimulating, you're not learning anything. From it, so maybe that would be why. Is that it's just it's not adding anything to it. Maybe you need to start listening to like weird experimental music or something. Then, if you want an attention span, yeah, I don't know. I might be too old and grumpy for that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not calling you old and grumpy. I'm agreeing with you. I'm empathizing and agreeing in that way. (laughs) Not like you grumpy old man. Too old and grumpy for it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um. So there's the individual response. It's kind of interesting. It's sort of like the, the... We've talked before about how Marxism doesn't really lend itself to an individualist response. Right. Um, it's something that you can do and kind of practice, but it doesn't really achieve the ends. Because when we talk about being Marxist, the point is not to uh, live a virtuous life amongst a bunch of sinners. The point is to change the world. Yeah. What's that? Did you notice? I think you posted it. The 
11 theses on Fauerbach posted as a BuzzFeed BuzzFeed thing? Yeah. I think I might have. Yeah. If you don't know this, the the quote from Marx that you're probably familiar with that goes something like, philosophers have only interpreted the world, the point, however, is to change it. That is the last point in something Marx wrote called the 11 theses on Fauerbach, where he basically reflects on this philosopher that no one remembers anymore. Actually, Lenin refers to Feuerbach a lot. Okay. Still not <laughs> Still, that's pretty long ago. It's yeah. No, yeah, I know. <laughs> but uh, it was Marx's reaction to yeah, this philosopher that's clearly not as famous as Marx anymore, and like he was basically had like these ten or excuse, 11. I guess eleven arguments uh, about where Feuerbach went wrong. Not entirely. He kind of builds on Feuerbach. I would yeah, say. yeah. He's I, he. I think he's more constructive criticism than polemicizing. Yeah, I think. And uh, BuzzFeed published it as if it were a BuzzFeed listicle, which, I mean, it kind of was. It was a list formatted complaints about Fauerbach. Yeah, I I was very, I'm not sure what to think of BuzzFeed anymore now. Because I normally think of BuzzFeed as just sort of nonsense or sometimes trashy news or Mm -hmm. just like click on me. Mm -hmm. Clickbait, I guess, is the term. But I was... I I was just confused and shocked by that. I thought it was awesome. I mean, I think it also fits in with something that I've heard a lot recently that all of these like list um formatted internet articles are not actually that new is the the argument that I hear more and more these days and they show a lot of like historically there were these newspapers that would do list formatted articles and magazines would do it. And, you know, you could even go back, like, I don't know, the Ten Commandments is basically yeah. a listicle, right? Yeah, I think poor Cracked, um, to talk about them, I think they sort of re-pioneered that. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else started using it from the, yeah, taking it from them, I believe, for modern usage of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think... Uh, I think I've seen this. It'll be hard, it'll be hard to dig up the exact reference because I don't remember where it was, but it was about somebody who is involved in either Cracked or BuzzFeed, and they're like, "Look, we don't necessarily want to name all of our articles or videos blank ways that blank blanks or whatever. Like that's kind of what they all are, or the top ten blank." Uh, but that's all you guys ever click on, so we have to keep naming them that, otherwise you guys won't read our stuff. And it's like, oh, okay, there you go. They're responding to the way people choose what media they're going to read. Yeah, which is, I mean, in a way, and that's sort of fundamentally how capitalism, theoretically, in the free market works, is that it's a reaction to consumer action and stuff. I would say there's a very dialectical relationship between uh, supply and demand. Mm-hmm. I know that's no way, shape, or form how any capitalist would say it, <laughs> um, even though it's very, very, very true. You um, know, I think the backlash against it, like, if you ask people, do you like the BuzzFeed format, what do you think of, like, this list-style article, most people would tell you that it's bad, that it's ruining journalism, that it's dumbing people down. I think that's a little bit alarmist, but at the same time, this is what I see. That means that people are 
recognizing that the things that we choose to click on may not, in fact, be the best for us. Hmm. It's basically saying, yeah, capitalism can use this to sell more or to get more clicks and therefore have higher traffic and sell ad revenue or whatever, you know, however you can use that to, to monetize. But it's people saying, maybe that's not the best thing for society. And and when people say that, they may not realize it, but in my mind, they're making an argument against why, you know, basically saying, capitalism might not actually be the best thing for society. Like, letting people make their own decisions, people sometimes don't make the right decisions. Sometimes, maybe, instead of reading the top ten whatever... It would be more beneficial to yourself and society to read something a little denser or, I don't know, more intellectual or more stimulating or whatever. Yeah. Well, the the problem is using journalism as an example because journalism isn't – there are a few journalism things that I think do a really good job Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of crap. Like, if I want – like good journalism the thing about good journalism is they don't cover as much stuff because they're busy researching and stuff like the intercept i think is a great example glenn greenwald's thing it's a great example of really good journalism although even with them they just had to fire somebody who had just made crap up but kudos to them and that they fired them they redacted the articles they published you know Okay, this is what the person had claimed, and, like, this person, like, went so far as to, like, make fake email accounts to, like, send them stuff to pretend like they were getting information. But I'd like to see, you know, Fox News or anybody else even publicly make known that they fired somebody because they lied about stuff. You know, and I will say, in in defense of humanity, there's only so much really heavy stuff you can digest at a time, too. Yeah. Like, every once in a while, you do need to just watch a youtube video of cats or monkeys or whatever animal is funny cats fighting monkeys cats fighting monkeys cats riding on monkeys yeah cats <laughs> or monkeys riding on cats monkeys i think they ride on dogs yeah cats wouldn't put up with that yeah no although i will say though too for like uh more i was getting into a discussion with my wife the other day because i clicked on some article that was something like you know, oh, this is the reason for this. Or like, you know, what's really going on here? Something like that, that was trying to explain stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just, like, I started reading it, and it was one of the, I think this might just be me, but it drives me nuts when they're like, it was a bright sunny day in early autumn, and the sun crept up over it, and Beth, Beth got out of her car for another long day. I'm like, no, no, I don't need a personal narrative around everything. You said there's a reasons for something. Like, there's something going on. Just tell me that. I don't need always a personal narrative around right? everything. It yeah. drives me nuts. I yeah. didn't figure out whatever it was they were talking about because I just stopped reading it. I think there's a <clears throat> there's a um, journalism like standard format, which is lead with the thing. Like, give the most important piece of information first. First sentence. And then as you go through, you just keep list like listing sentences essentially in order of importance. So you can read the whole thing, but the the like end part doesn't really matter. You're right that there's so many articles online now 
where the title is so catchy. It like is yeah. Why such and such a thing happens, and you're like, oh, that would be cool to know. I want to know why, whatever. And then you click on it, and you're like, this is like ten pages long. I just want to know why. Why does Jello not melt or whatever? I don't know. If that's I think Jello. Example. I think Jello melts. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although maybe it doesn't. Yeah, you have to read the article to find out, and it's ten pages long. Good luck. Yeah, or I hate it too when there's something. Where you do stick through it, and it's just like, well, duh. Like, I watched, I recently watched a video put out by GE. I'm noticing, I don't know what GE's planning on doing. I kind of think they're working on some sort of doomsday machine, because they've been doing a lot of, like, positive PR stuff. Like, they did, like, a crossover series of podcasts with Cracked, where they were talking to people. And they did, like, a TV series thing. And this video was about how GE engineers are doing amazing stuff. Um, But it was something about a snowball's chance in hell. And they were going to throw a snowball on molten iron. And I was like, oh, okay, that might be kind of interesting. But no, it was all about their great technologies. So they took a snowball... It's like it was it kind of irritating. We'll have to link to it so people can look at how annoying and long it was. But basically, they took a snowball and they put it in like a heat-proof container that they make like jet engine parts out of, and then they put that in a heat-proof container, and then they put that in molten lava and opened it up, and of course, the snowball inside hadn't melted because it was in like two heat-proof things. Like I'm like, oh, that's boring. Sorry. <laughs> it's an example of how sometimes that doesn't pay off. Yeah. Too long of an example. <laughs> the collective response to um to advertising to capitalism forcing its ideology on us to consumerism to companies trying to exploit how we we all want things that are rare. How we're all hipsters. The collective response is a lot harder. Yeah. It's changing the world. And I mean, you can do some things to break it down to incremental steps. You know, I think decommodifying healthcare would be one of those that a lot of the world has done that we haven't. In other words, providing universal healthcare where you're not going to a marketplace to buy it. That'd be something, a step in the right direction. But really, to 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 be free of it means transforming society. That's part of the socialist project. Yeah. Here's a question. So everybody, for whatever reason, has a very knee-jerk reaction to being called a hipster. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of fascinating. Is that a... Is okay. Is embracing or rejecting hipsterism? If we're all hipsters, which of those is the anti-capitalist move? Is it? Do we go? I am a hipster, and I like these things unapologetically because I like these things. Is that simply buying into this consumerist model, or is the going? No, no, no. I'm not a hipster. 
even though I like all these things and buy all these things? Like, or is it is that sort of a, a false question? L- let me tell you one thing. There's one thing at least that hipsters get right. Nobody wants to be a hipster, but there's one reason why you should want to be a hipster because there's one thing that hipsters I think do right, and it relates to this whole soft spot that we've been talking about. How we all want things that are rare and scarce and, you know, made to to be built up in our minds. This has been going on long before hipsters. You know, people have been doing it, like, for example, with cars for a long time. That was the big thing with baby boomers, right? Was get a, get a fancy car, right? Like, if you talk to a man in his 60s, he can probably tell you, like, a good story about his favorite car. If you talk to a guy in his 20s, he might not have ever owned a car. And if he did, he probably doesn't care very much about it. He might have an interesting story about how it broke once or so. Like, the story won't be about his love for his car. Yeah. Um, what hipsters do is they acknowledge the fact that we have this soft spot. They say, okay, it's gonna happen. I'm gonna fall in love with something that's rare. But I'm gonna choose it. It's going to be on my own terms. I'm not going to let capitalism take advantage of me for it. What I'm going to do is find a very obscure band. And I'm going to like that band. And that's going to be the thing that makes me feel special. The thing that I like and I know about that other people don't know. That's going to be how I become exclusive. Or maybe it's some rare food stuff. You know, some locally sourced whatever from, you know arugula or that's not even that rare but some some vegetable that no one's ever heard of morel mushrooms yeah that's a good one yeah yeah morel mushrooms are awesome but like the just i think hipsters find a way to tap into that part of their psyche without necessarily making it all about an expensive commodity okay they find a way to do it about like liking an obscure philosopher or whatever. You know, they they value obscure knowledge or uh, obscure food stuff or, you know, or having a handlebar mustache, which probably, like, the, the mustache wax for that probably is not very expensive, but it's a rare piece of facial hair that hardly anyone has. Yeah. So whether we should all be hipsters or all not be hipsters, I don't know. There's, I think there's good things and bad things about every social group. But the one thing I think that hipsters have right is they've acknowledged their weakness and and pick and choose where, where it'll show up. Okay. I have another question then about hipsters. Hipsters traditionally have been associated with heavy irony, which feeds very well into postmodern, a uh, very postmodern view, which is really heavily steeped in capitalism and capitalist ideology mm-hmm. like this sort of no history there is just now and like that sort of stuff i guess i was wondering if you had any thoughts or comments on that i'll have to think about it but I, i'll give you some right off the cuff and then maybe we'll come back to it later it's an interesting question first reaction is i the and actually the, some of our marxist listeners might not like me for this I think Marxism is too harsh on postmodernism. I think that postmodernism has some things to offer 
and Marxists tend to write it off as purely capitalist propaganda. And I don't think that's all there is to it. I think there's lots of things going on in postmodernism. And, and that it can be used for capitalist purposes, but I think there's also ways that it can be used for Marxist purposes. One thing that you mentioned about postmodernism is the fact that history doesn't really matter. Well, that's actually a benefit in the Bernie campaign right now. Yeah. Like, the people, a lot of the millennials that support Bernie, and we're kind of on the older end of the millennial spectrum, so we're not non-millennials, but, you know, we... We're, I can't at, say, we're at the tail end of that yeah, cohort. I mean, I, I wasn't politically aware during the Cold War, but I guarantee you that my high school teachers were greatly affected by the Cold War and therefore chose what to say and not to say because of it. Millennials don't care at all about the Cold War. That's a ton of baggage that is actually good to leave behind. The I think that the Cold War was awful for for just simply having an honest discussion about real theory, real politics, and real economics. That it it shut down avenues of discussion that should have never been shut down. And so, the fact that we've forgotten that part of history, or that, that millennials just don't care about that part of history, I think that's fine. That's actually, I think, one of the biggest benefits that Bernie has. There are other things too, but that that that's the one that I'll use to sum up how I think I think there are good parts about postmodernism. So you know, get out there, go be a hipster or not, drink some craft beer or not, <laughs> but don't buy a Birkin. No, that's way too much money. See you next time. <laughs> Marxism Today is created by Red Wagner and Tony Schmidt and is a project of the Democratic Socialists of America, Madison, Wisconsin chapter. We are not official spokespeople of the DSA and the views expressed in this podcast are our own. You can find us on Twitter at Red Wagner 2, that's the number 2, and Schmidt AJ, that's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-A-J. Our episodes are all available for download on our blog, marxismtodaypodcast.wordpress.com. You can share your thoughts about this episode and others on our subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash marxismtoday. Also, you can find information about the Democratic Socialists of America Madison chapter on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash dsamadison. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.